You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I had curated this trip and they wanted me to start this blog and my daughter had said, you know, why don't you have a website? And I thought, well, a website could be cool because that's something I could design and I could get behind and I could learn about it. And then I never did anything about it. So that year for Mother's Day, my daughter gave me a card with a URL on it that said, because you always talk about doing things and you never do them. So she started it for me. Um, she started it for me on Weebly, which they were using at school. And I uh, started to play around with it. And then I moved it over to Squarespace. And, and initially it was really just Select seven were the, were the seven verticals that we have, which are philanthropy, food, wellness and beauty, travel, fashion, interior design, and social media and technology. It started out as sort of my culmination of all those magazine pages I had ripped out and all the cool rain boots I had found, sunscreen I used, and it was really meant to just sort of be a place where I could send friends when they were like, I'm going to Paris, where should I eat? They could give them this website and they could go look at it. That was Pamela Shine Murphy. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, Marnie on the Move listeners, movers and shakers. You are in for a great conversation with the talented and innovative Pamela Shine Murphy. But first, quick thank you to our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Have you guys tried their CBD bath bombs or their CBD balm yet? Game changers, for sure. Okay, more about Mad Ritual CBD later. Plus, we have a discounted shop code for you to use and get a great offer. Now, back to our guest. Pamela is the founder and creative director of The Select 7, one of my favorite websites and Instagram feeds. The Select 7 is a beautifully photographed curated exploration into the worlds of motivation, food, beauty and wellness, travel, fashion, home design, and social media by some of the most interesting people out there from all kinds of industries. The Select 7 unlocks the worlds of today's top tastemakers, acting as an exchange hub for people who want both the aspirational and the totally obtainable to share their finds, recommendations, and ideas. Native New Yorker Pamela Shine Murphy is no stranger to the world of media with her early roots at iconic magazines and media brands like Fitness, Mirabella, Elle, and Glamour. After successfully working her way up the masthead, Murphy created her first independent venture, a national lifestyle magazine called Madison. She went on to add film producer with Ed Burns and marketing director of her husband, chef Mark Murphy's restaurant group, to her resume. And she also ran the REST Initiative, R-E-S-T, a nonprofit organization that brought massage therapies directly into chemotherapy treatment rooms, which she started after completing her own battle with breast cancer 12 years ago. During our conversation, Pamela and I sync up about where it all began, how her teenage daughter got the ball rolling for Select 7, how she has been navigating COVID times, and of course, 
we chat about all of the fitness classes and routines that have powered her for success along the way. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to your Apple app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes, click on five stars and leave a review. And while you're at it, if you like what you hear, share what you like on your Instagram stories and on your social media channels. Now, on to the episode. But first, a word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality, CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think what you're doing with Select 7 is so innovative and cool. What was the inspiration behind your website and digital brand? It's just a big giant accident, really. I've always been a planner and a researcher, and I was always one of those people who pulled a million pages out of magazines back in the day when people read magazines and had folders of like trips I want to go on and places I want to go and lucky to travel a lot. And so about... Gosh, I guess it was probably four or five years ago, I went on a girl's trip to Paris for a friend's birthday. And I sort of curated the whole trip. And on the last night of the trip, one of the girls said, you're so good at this, you should have a blog. And to me, because I was in the restaurant business for so long, bloggers were like, the enemy. Because when blogging first started, it was just like angry people behind the computer. Like I didn't even realize that blogs had become a good thing. So I looked at her and I was like, I hate blogs. I'm not doing that. I would never do that. So I sort of forgot about it. And then about a month later, she was in my apartment. My daughter, who was 12 at the time, was there and she brought it up again. And my daughter said to me, well, what if you had a website? And I was like, oh, a website. Like that could be cool. Because I was in the magazine business for a long time. I went to graduate school for magazine journalism. And Yes, let's rewind. Well, it began, I hated high school. It goes, but this is a very long story. I hate, I hated, hated, hated high school and did really badly in high school. And I sort of found myself as soon as I got to college and realized all the potential and opportunity there was for learning. And so when I was done with college, I wasn't ready to be done with school, which was very surprising to me, but I couldn't decide if I wanted to go to law school or graduate school just because, I don't know, I always thought like being a trial lawyer would be amazing. So I decided to take the LSAT and the Jerry and just sort of throw caution to the wind and see what happened. And I started studying for both of them and realized very quickly that that was the worst idea I ever had because you couldn't possibly and they were like a week apart so I said screw law school that's not really going to happen for me I want to I want to do something like in communications or media or something like I didn't really I was an English major in, in high school and so I was looking around at different schools I was looking at Emerson for communications 
And then I noticed that NYU had, the School of Journalism had these three tracks where you could do broadcast, print, or magazine. And I had worked at a few magazines over summers, like at Hamptons Magazine out in the Hamptons and places like that. I thought, oh, magazine journalism, that would be amazing because it sort of marries my writing style, which is conversational and probably more on the creative side with actual research. So I did that and, and started working. I worked at a few magazines. I had internships at a few magazines. I worked at Mirabella, which I mean, that's, I'm really dating myself. I remember Mirabella because I lived <laughs> on the same block on 35th that's Street. Hilarious. I mean, it was so, so long ago. I just remember that we had computers that were from the dark ages. So I was there. I worked for a little bit at Glamour. I worked at L for a little bit. And then I... As a writer? I was mostly like editorial assistant type jobs. And then I had while And then and I worked at a magazine in the Hamptons called Country Magazine where I met Fred Moore, who was my editor there. And at the end of the summer, he said to me, we should start a magazine. So we decided to start a magazine. We really, we worked at free magazines before, so we could totally do this. But we decided we didn't want it to be a free magazine after all. So we... A friend of mine gave us office space and we sat down basically with like a yellow pages and a white pages and started to figure out how to start a magazine, which we did. And it was called Madison. And we published for four-ish years. We were distributed by Hearst. It was an amazing, amazing magazine. But we were both editorial, neither one of us business. So we spent way more than we made. So it didn't last. It feels like it's so hard to start a media company and any company, right? In theory, it looks like, oh, I'm just going to do this. But then when you start to do it, I mean, there's just so much work that goes into it before you, before anyone on the outside sees how amazing it is. Yeah. You have to do it because you love it, not because you think it's ever going to be anything or you right. think you're ever going to make money from it. I mean, I, I'm also not a poster child for entrepreneurship only because I tend to make these things that are amazing that are not sustainable at all because I don't know anything about business, which is like a terrible combination of things you know I mean we broke even there but like it just wasn't anything and now with the select seven it's you know my overhead is nothing right I think it's much easier now to start something online because you can just kind of do it and you can and you can do it fairly quickly and fairly easily and the business model is the same as a magazine or any other kind of media in that there's advertising right right there's custom content yeah, we have not done a ton of custom content. I'm sort of getting used to that idea. You know, I did go to journalism school where advertorial was actually like an illegal thing. Yes, totally. <laughs> so, so I'm sort of like this idea of paid content is I, I'm still I, I'm still trying to understand to, to get used to it and to also make sure that whatever we do remains authentic to the brand because I won't we won't do any kind of content for anyone yes. that that we wouldn't actually use or read or be or anything so yeah I think it's really important to remain authentic to your brand and it, that's like a fine line I mean not a fine line to be authentic but a fine line to you know keeping the authenticity and then actually having it as a business I feel like we see that happen all the time with brands and companies yeah I mean I think that's true and I think that that's part of the problem and I, I also think that that's the other problem with digital media is that because it's so easy to just put stuff out there that a lot of the thought that went into 
print stuff isn't there for this. It's sort of like, well, it's immediate and I'm just going to throw it up there. And then you're like, oh, wait, maybe that was not a good idea. And social media too. It's like everyone, you know, a lot of knee jerking happens. Yeah. Well, so take me back to what we were talking about in the beginning with Select 7, because the content that you're putting out there feels very much like it would be a magazine in this like in the sense that it's beautiful, the photos are great, it's very curated, and it seems like a lot of thought goes into it. Well, it does. Thank you for noticing. So I had curated this trip and they wanted me to start this blog and my daughter had said, you know, why don't you have a website? And I thought, well, a website could be cool because that's something I could design and I could get behind and I could learn about it. And then I never did anything about it. So that year for Mother's Day, my daughter gave me a card with a URL on it that said, because you always talk about doing things and you never do them. That's so cool. Yeah. So she started it for me. Um, She started it for me on Weebly, which they were using at school. And I uh, started to play around with it. And then I moved it over to Squarespace. And and initially it was really just the select seven were the, the, were the seven verticals that we have, which are philanthropy, food, wellness and beauty, travel, fashion, interior design, and social media and technology. It started out as sort of my culmination of all those magazine pages I had ripped out and all the cool rain boots I had found and sunscreen I used. And it was really meant to just sort of be a place where I could send friends when they were like, I'm going to Paris, where should I eat? I could give them this website and they could go look at it because I was working full time in the restaurant business at the time. But me being me, it kind of started to become like this full time thing that I was doing in the middle of the night. And then I was like, I should have a newsletter. Then I said, well, I should have other people come and like give their recommendations for stuff. So I started asking friends to, you know, I asked Scott Conant came on and gave us his seven favorite Italian restaurants around the world. And I love Scott. He is an old friend. I've known him half my life and his wife Meltem is a very good friend and one of my best friends from college. He's a good friend of ours too. Oh, that's so funny. That's a very small world. Well, he's Yeah, he and Mark are very close. And he's one of my faves. But anyway, so things like that. And then I just was getting really burned out because I was like, is this a thing? Like, what am I doing? Am I doing this? Is anybody even paying attention to this? Is Could this be a thing? Like, what am I doing? So I talked to some consultants. I talked to the girls at Medier Creative who had, they had started Covetour. I just said to them, I was like, what do you guys think? Like, is this, does this have legs or should I just stop what I'm doing? Because I can't do all the things with two kids and two jobs. It was just too much. And they were like, yeah, it could be a thing, but it can't, it can't be about you anymore. And I said, no, that's kind of the point is I don't have anything left to say. Like I've now vomited all this information onto the internet and I don't have, I haven't been on a trip. I don't go anywhere anymore. So like I, I have nothing left. And that was where the idea for the select guests came and that we would have, and that the, the seven would actually be the seven days of the week. And the hook was, cause why do you get someone to come back to a website every day if you're not selling stuff? Right. Right. So it was this idea of unlocking their selects over these verticals every day. So every day that you come to the site, there's new content. So the week kind of unfolds from Monday to Sunday. And that was how it came about. And so I, you know, I started with people I knew. Medier cast a number of people for me at the beginning also. I, well, I guess actually when, when I first started, I wasn't even doing shoots because I, I didn't, there was no money in it. And so I was just sort of curating from other people's Instagrams and stuff like that. Right. And then I was like, all right, it's time to really use this as what it was meant for, which is the sharing of information. And so I wanted to, I wanted to do shoots so that the guest would also 
share on their network so that we can right. kind of have this ever growing network of like they told you friends and they told you friends. And, so and that's on, super so important, so right? To kind of like when you're creating content and you want your guests to share it also to make sure that it works with their Instagram and their social media and their feed. Well, exactly. And that's actually one of the things that we require now because that's really what this is about. Like one of our taglines is we use social media for good because I think what social media was, and because this is such a heavily social media based platform, you know, what it was originally meant for was the sharing of information, which you're seeing so much now with what's going on. And I really want to capitalize on that because I think the more you kind of grow an online community of like-minded people, the better off you are. Right. So for example, this week, Jamie Mears is our guest and, you know, she wasn't introducing us to her group. It would sort of die on the vine a little bit you know it sort of has to have this synergy in order to to kind of be what what we want it to be and that's really how it works best her photo looks amazing so she shot all that so that's that's been interesting to do all this in quarantine yeah how are you getting all these great photos in quarantine people have been really good about doing their own shoots do you give them like a one pager on how to do a photo shoot by yourself? Well, no, I mean, I, when quarantine first started, I'm trying to remember. So our two, our two staff photographers did it first. So they like knew what was up and they're photographers, so they knew how to do it. Although Daphne Yuri, who's one of our photographers, her son actually shot her week for her, which is amazing. And then, you know, we have enough guests that people could look back on. Some people were in quarantine with other people. So they had like, Permalee Doyle had her mom shoot all of her pictures, but mostly people have just been really like people pivot you know it's it's people have been really great we're gonna i think like in two weeks i think we're gonna start shooting again you are yeah because you're far enough away yeah i mean we just it'll have to be just be a photographer and a guest like i won't go because i don't you know usually i would go but i think i think we'll keep it keep it lean for now and see how it goes yeah um you know, as long as people are into it. You have over 200 guests on the Select 7 from fashion, beauty, wellness. No, I don't know. We have some interior designers. Yeah, I mean, we have like food, a lot of food people, a lot of beauty people. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's a week in their life. Exactly. So it's basically like everything they love. It's like every vertical of your life and want to share. That's what we do. And that's what people read about. And it's, it's kind of great. I love all of our guests. I mean, I love every single, like... Are they like your babies? They are, you know. First of all, I mean, you know, I can't believe people say yes. It's this thing that I did that I didn't know if people would like. And then when I ask someone if they want to be on it and they say yes, I'm like, oh oh my God, you do. You really like me. So I'm just super grateful for everyone who's agreed to do it. Because it's not not just me doing an interview. It's them writing a ton of content because I really want everything to be in their voice. I don't want it to be in my voice. They've all been really amazing and super supportive. And I feel very fortunate to have had each of them. Are you working off of a content calendar right now? Because some of your stuff is obviously timely when you need to be. You were able to pivot with Black Lives Matter and really represent and put up some good content around that. But generally, are you able to do that? Or do you have a content calendar that you work off of? The flip side to to digital being knee jerk is that you can also put anything up at any time that you want to. So with Black Lives Matter, you know, it's sort of that happened quickly. And I know what our feed and what our site looks like. I'm a little, it's a little bit like the Wizard of Oz at the Select 7 because it's really only me behind the curtain. You know, it sort of has this appearance of being a very large company, but it's really just me. And especially, you know, now since everything happened, I had to, I, you know, one person working with me now. So plus our photographers. That's great. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is, but it, it definitely narrows the field in terms of outreach for guests and stuff like that. Yes. So I think I fall into the same trap that a lot of people with white privilege do, which is that, you know, you look at diversity as overall diversity instead of really focusing on people of color, which, you know, was one of the first things that I admitted when, when all this first happened was to say, like, I know what this looks like and I, I have work to do. Be patient because we are on a calendar, right? Because we, it's a shoot and it's content and we book those weeks out very far in advance because yes. it takes a lot to get the week together. So, so where I can put up an article in a night to do a person's week requires a lot of, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot more time than people think. Yeah. Yes. And it's moving parts too. It's getting someone for a shoot. It's getting their content. It's editing. It's, it's a lot of stuff. It's much easier to pivot when you have a digital media platform as opposed to print. There is certainly still a time frame and schedule for posting content. Right. Unless I'm yeah, getting and on I'm, and like writing something personally. Like a lot of what you did was like exactly. just posting things personally. Exactly. Right now we are booked through August. Right. And I had to scramble a lot when everybody first went into quarantine, obviously, because we had a million shoots set up and a million guests ready to go who were like, sorry, I can't do it. That's been challenging. I've definitely put feelers out and I have a few guests coming up who I think will be amazing. I think the most important thing for anyone at this time is to just be transparent about like, it wasn't for lack of wanting to feature someone of color. I mean, I, right. it's, and we have in the past, it's just who I am personally connected to basically is how we get guests, right? Because it's my outreach is not that huge or who is presented to me. So the good news is that because of this and because of what I've posted, a lot of people have come to me and been like, I have friends. I know this person. I know that person. And that's exactly how this works. And it's great yeah. because that's how I want to be introduced to people because really the only requirement for someone to be featured on the site is they need to be interesting and that's everybody Yeah, <laughs> and they need to be active on social media. They don't have to have millions of followers. They just have to be engaged because again, that's like a big part of it. So it's just meeting the people. It's just getting these interesting people in a line and to say yes and to want to do it, to have the time to do it. And yeah, I mean, I feel really similarly about just content and even regarding Black Lives Matter and having more people of color in the podcast. The way I do my outreach and interviews is just people that are like right next to me in my immediate network. I don't have a team going out right. to casting a net to thousands of people. So a lot of it is recommendations. A lot of it is like, okay, this month I'm going to have four entrepreneurs that are runners on the podcast. And I try to keep a theme so that I have some of the same people listening to the podcast. Or there are so many amazing, talented people that I would love to have on my podcast. And I have just felt like now is probably not a good time to ask them. And they're on my list for the last year. So it's like, right. it's right. like an initiative right. that I personally feel like if I ever had thought about it, I could totally have focused on it before, but now I'm going to focus on it more in a way that's authentic. Exactly. And that's really, I think that's all you can do. You know, you can you, you just, people have to assume that everybody's doing the best that they can right now. And it's, everything did happen really quickly. And it happened also at a time where everything else is so crazy. Yeah. I think the, the quarantine and COVID has just been a lot for people. So yeah, I mean, it's bananas. This was like a very, very crazy time. In addition to Select 7, you also created an organization called REST, which was to help 
patients going through chemotherapy feel a little bit better about their experience. You also had your own personal experience with cancer, which is where this idea was initiated. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2006, caught it very early. I'm like, you know, I was very lucky. I was 36 years old and I had a double mastectomy and I had to have my ovaries removed and I had chemo and all that kind of fun stuff. I, I guess I'm one of those people who always kind of looks at things as just an experience, which I guess is a good thing, or maybe it's denial. I'm not really sure, but I sort of just looked at it like, okay, well now I, now I know what this is going to be right now. I've sort of gone through chemo and I understand it. How can I uh, turn this into something positive? And so I was very fortunate, you know, during, right before I was diagnosed, we'd been trying to have a second kid and my daughter was two and a half time that I was diagnosed and it became pretty clear pretty quickly that I wasn't going to be able to have any more kids. So the first thing I did when I found out I was going to have to have chemo was I said, well, we're going to adopt. So we actually adopted our son while I was going through chemo. But the other thing was afterwards, I really felt like I needed for all of it to kind of have been for something. And for me, the part about cancer that was the worst was the chemo portion of it. Not because, I mean, chemo is gross and it's terrible, but the actual sitting there felt, for me anyway, and, and I guess I'm not a person who is great at asking for help. So it was like hard for me to have people come and sit there with me for eight hours or 10 hours because I felt sort of responsible for them. Like, I don't want you to be bored. You know, I don't want you to come with me to chemo because I don't want you to be bored or whatever. And and I just realized that, that that time that you're there, whether you have someone with you or not, was so much about your illness and so very glaringly about this poison that's being pumped into you. And how could you take that time that you're sitting there? You know, my, my initial yeah. thought was like, we should do manicures and pedicures while we're getting, I mean, logistically, you can't like start bringing in knives and cuticle nippers. And all this kind of so I just thought like, how can you do self-care while you are having the thing in the world that's like the least about self-care? And so it was a massage and it was touch. And it was this idea of sitting there at chemo and having someone come and like rub your feet or rub your neck or your head or wherever on your body you're able to be touched while, you know, every, obviously every cancer is different and every chemotherapy is different, but, but how could you bring human touch into this thing that's so sterile and kind of terrible and poisonous. I started the rest initiative, which stood for relief, energy, synergy, and touch. And we brought massage therapists. We had full-time massage therapists on staff and we were at NYU medical center and they were there five days a week, like regular all day. I didn't want it to be one of those things. that was like Tuesdays from two to two 30, there'll be a massage therapist here. I mean, we were there full-time. And so you had experienced what it was like going through chemotherapy and knew that the scheduled short-term massage therapist being on site wouldn't work? No, there were a lot of, like, there were tons of things, like, while I was in the hospital, it's like art class on Wednesdays during chemo. And I was like, well, what if you don't get chemo on Wednesday? What I really wanted it to be was I wanted it to be something that people didn't have to think about, that they didn't have to make an appointment or pay for it. Or it was just sort of like, how glorious would it be to sit there and get chemo and have someone knock on your door and say, hi, can I give you a massage? You know, it just was like, 
<laughs> so that was really the idea behind it. And that's what we did. Did it for a number of years and we did it at NYU. And it seemed to have a, a theme here of running out of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely like a creative person's problem. Exactly. And this was, we weren't curing cancer. So right. getting money, we got like, initially we got a ton of money. I think we raised like more than, we raised like three quarters of a million dollars. But after that, we'd sort of exhausted everyone we knew and it was if you haven't gone through chemo it's a hard thing they're like a massage like who cares and the people with like really big money are giving to like susan g coleman or breast cancer research fund as they should so right. it was just we we sort of found ourselves in like this weird place of hmm but nyu absorbed us and they actually kept our massage therapists for a while i don't think that they're there anymore i could be wrong but they were there for a while we got letters from people. We made life much easier for a good number of people for a while. And that was really what I wanted it to be about. That's really awesome. I think that's a great program. So now your 12-year-old daughter who helped you start Select 7, does she have her own company now too? <laughs> she's very entrepreneurial. Well, she does actually. Yes, she is. She's, she's going to be 17 next month. She just actually finished project for school. She built a website called This is the Last. And it's about rape culture and sexual assault and putting an end, you know, sparking conversations with young people about it and, and putting an end to sexual violence. Basically. That is so, so amazing. You must yeah. be so proud. She's a cool girl. And your She's son? Cool My son is 13 years old yeah. and uh, just wants to play sports and thinks that quarantine with me is like the worst possible thing that could ever happen to him. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it's very different having a 13-year-old boy in, in quarantine. Is, you know, I feel so bad for him. It's like he just needs to move. Yeah. Um, and you guys are in the city. Yeah. We're in the city. Yeah, yeah. And you've also been in the restaurant business for ages with your husband and chef, Mark Murphy, who's also on Chopped with our mutual friend, Scott. I know you closed one location about a year ago. What are you guys up to now? So we are thankfully, I mean, not at the okay. moment. Landmark Tribeca was our first restaurant and it was a building that we bought 18 or 19 years ago. Just this little two-story building that we've had for that long, which we still have. So he actually had turned that into an event space and now is turning it back into, well, was turning it back into a restaurant. Everything's on hold. You know, he still does a ton of stuff. I mean, he's on chopped, so he's, super busy all the time so he's sort of like transitioned his career in in a really awesome way well you know i mean i think it wasn't necessarily intentional I mean, the restaurant business in new york is not easy and i think that it was getting really terrible before this happened and i i really hope that the positive that comes out of this is that new york city government understands that like it's un it's untenable for for restaurants to, to operate businesses in the city it's just it's the odds are against any small restaurant. They just are. It's, it's so we closed our last restaurant in market at the Time Warner Center a year ago. Yeah. I used to go there after all my races in the park. I would go there for, for like breakfast. Uh, it's very hard. You know, we were there for a long time. We were there for 12, 13 years. Like yeah. That. So, you know, but it's. But Mark it is on chop. for change. It was, yeah, he's on chop. He's busy. He's yeah. very busy. And now all he does is cook in quarantine, which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. Yes. <laughs> like, I can't eat another big meal. <laughs> That's so funny. And so now, speaking of eating big meals, what do you do to stay fit and healthy? And what's your wellness routine? 
before or after? Oh, um, give me them all. During. Um, I mean, I've always been, I, like I said, that first article I wrote for fitness magazine way back when was about exercise addiction. Like I've always, well, not always, I think since college been like a crazy worker outer, you know, I used to do like step classes yeah, and all that kind of stuff. I used to have like a little rebounder in our apartment that would jump up and down. And then I started going to SoulCycle when they first opened in Bridgehampton. I like happened in on it to a class, which whoever's listening who knows Stacey Griffith will appreciate this. I walked into a Stacey Griffith class at the barn in Bridgehampton. I think there were 10 people in the class. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew, like it was right before it became, before it blew up. So I started becoming like, I became a crazy spinner. I used to go from my apartment in Tribeca. I used to work out. I used to spin at the Upper West Side studio, like a crazy person. Super funny story. That barn studio, I was their first PR person and helped them launch Soul Cycle, their first summer in the Hamptons. Did you really? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It totally took off after that. It was so wonderful to be part of such a huge pioneering movement in New York. That's amazing. It is. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, right? I just dated everybody myself. Everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. I took but, it off um, my like roster a long time ago because then it would make me like you know so much older than I would like to appear <laughs> to be. <laughs> but Soul Cycle, okay. So I did that and I used to ride the subway to take a class on 72nd Street like a lunatic and then did that for a long time. Then I sort of split my time between SoulCycle and Flywheel. Then I started doing Orange Theory, which I love. It's a great workout. It is a great workout. So I was doing that pretty like regularly before quarantine. I actually like the day before the day I left to go into quarantine, I went to Orange Theory in the morning. And the whole time I was like, this is probably not a great idea, but you need your workout. Yeah. Coronavirus be damned. And then, so now what I've been doing since we're here is I've been very fortunate because my parents' house is down the street from ours and they have a gym in their house and they have a Peloton treadmill and a Peloton bike. I literally attacked a Peloton truck this morning. (laughs) They're not doing treadmills yet, right? They're not. No. We definitely want a treadmill. They're so good, though. Get one. If you can get one, get they one. They are it's good. Really, okay. They're great. So what I do is Orange Theory has done these great at-home workouts on the app. So I'll pretend like I'm there. And I'll do like the 26 minutes of running and then do the floor workout. And then I just did a two-week trial of Tracy Anderson, which I am way too intimidated to actually go to a Tracy Anderson studio. And I've been kind of loving that. And then I've always done like, I've done like a million bar classes and like, you know, I mean, I've tried all of it. SLT, like, I, you know. That's cool. It's so, out there, I'll try it. So, and you like the, the Peloton treadmill. It's not too I love short. The Peloton treadmill. No. Okay. No. Cool. No. Awesome. It's not too short at all. The screen is ginormous. So you probably want to like face it towards the wall. Okay. Got it. Because that's it will my like... advice for Peloton treadmill. It take it like if it's in the room, it's like the screen is like the size of a flat screen TV. Okay. Good idea. We are like getting rid of our kitchen table. (laughs) I have my own bike and trainer in the apartment, but we don't have, I was looking at the Peloton treadmills and, and of course, no matter who I know, (laughs) it's not happening. (laughs) No, I know. Well, it's funny, actually, the head of Peloton social media is now going to be on the site in a couple of weeks because she was like commenting on something on on, um, Instagram a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, do you want to be on the site? That's so funny. But this has been so awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. 
If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.